I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of December 2022, and it's once again that very special time of the month wherein we do our very special Tales from the Shelf episode. Uh, and in joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? Uh, it's going great. Glad to be back. Uh, ready to talk some movies. And, uh, you know, it, it feels like it's been a while, but it also it feels like it hasn't been a while. It's just it's always good to be back and uh, talk some movies and specifically movies that we own in our collection. Oh, yes. It's always a lovely occasion to get together with you, Brad, and talk about some movies and whatnot. And uh, speaking of movies, uh, so Tales from the Shelf is, of course, a podcast uh, wherein Brad and I talk about our mutual film collections, our DVDs, our Blu-rays and our 4K discs. Uh, so this is just an excuse for us every month to get together and talk about uh, the movies from our various collections. But speaking of movies um, in particular, I recently went to my local Best Buy for the first time <laughs> uh, since college, so 10 wow. years plus, um, and it was quite the experience. I mean, it it wasn't like it, it was actually kind of dull. Um, it was very, very dead. <laughs> it was it was in the middle of the fucking morning on a Tuesday afternoon, so it wasn't exactly thrilling or anything, uh, but it was really trippy uh, for me to go to my my parents uh, neighborhood like Best Buy that I, I grew up going to uh, and to be away from it for so long. It was really strange uh, to set foot in there and just see how much it fucking changed, man. Like Brad, uh, you, I understand you, you go to Best Buy fairly frequently. Like you buy a lot of movies there. Like uh, what, what's your general assessment of Best Buy as a, as a DVD and Blu-ray and 4k vendor? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I do go to Best Buy a fair bit. Uh, you said this is the first time you've gone since college. I went three times last week alone. Um, so <laughs> I I have a little more experience there. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it's I, I have been going th this past week. That was a rare exception. It was because I kept going to buy Black Christmas on 4K, which the their app said they had in stock. I get there on Tuesday. They didn't have it out. And I had an appointment to get to. I go back on Wednesday. I'm like, I'll give them another day. And I had like I had to be somewhere in like 20 minutes. So I'm like, I, I have 20 minutes. I can if I can. I'll ask somebody if it's not out. Well, I get there. It's not out. I can't find anybody. Eventually, I have to leave. So then I do curbside pickup. I say, all right, I know they got it. I'm going to have them bring it to me. So I end up doing that. But anyway, um, yeah, it's definitely in terms of like the physical media, the Best Buys have obviously gone you know they've scaled back quite a bit but i mean i gotta say even though they really at like my best buy they only have like one main shelf and then like a new release kind of uh you know like cube i guess you'd say um even though they really only have a couple of places where they put movies and you know they used to have shelves and shelves i will say they still do carry a pretty good amount of stuff like i was just in there last week and they carry a lot of Shout Factory 4K new releases. They had three or four Criterions on the shelf at my local Best Buy, which I was surprised at. Um, all 4Ks, all new releases, and all you know full retail price, very expensive. But uh, it was cool seeing those out in the wild. I mean, I was almost tempted to buy Malcolm X for $16 more than I would in one of the sales. But I said, I, I don't need it that bad. Um, 
but yeah, they've definitely, you know, the physical media, no surprise. It's gone downhill there in the last decade since you've been. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that seemed to very much be the case, but you know, they often say like physical media is on its way out and that also may very well be the case. I'm not so sure. I don't really have my uh, finger to the pulse when it comes to that sort of thing, but uh, funny you mentioned Malcolm X because that was, I think, the one criterion that I saw in there as well. Uh, also, for way higher than I'd be willing to pay for it. <laughs> um, but like, do you have a favorite place to to buy your movies these days, Brad? Or is it Best Buy just because of convenience? Uh, it's partly Best Buy because of convenience. I, I like the reward system as well. Um, you get, you know rewarded pretty regularly and uh i mean i kind of go back and forth between best buy or just ordering on amazon um a lot of times i do best buy like delivery because i will say you know what i actually i actually prefer buying from best buy online over amazon because they tend to uh package their uh shipments a little more they're like their packaging's a little more sturdy um like if you're gonna buy a single movie amazon will send it in like that like just kind of paper uh mailer envelope whereas best buy theirs is like a thicker cardboard paper mailer sort of thing um so there's a little more protection there um but yeah generally if there's like a new release and i'm i want it that day i will usually go to best buy go to the store um not that i buy that many new releases the day of uh, but for Black Friday, I, it's Best Buy all the way for me. I think I bought 13 movies on Black Friday at Best Buy. Um, I mean, the prices were just too good to pass up. So I've kind of just lately just been waiting until Black Friday and then I just stock up on all my, you know, big studio releases for the year. Hey, I mean, that's not a bad way to go about it. I mean, you save a buck and, you know, it's like it's just condensing it all into, you know, one one sale period rather than mm -hmm. just like a sprinkling throughout the year, which is more my style, honestly. But um, as for myself, I have uh, owls on the Ave uh, out here in Seattle uh, in the U District. Uh, that's one of my very favorite just stores in the whole city. Um, they they do vinyl, um, old video games, new video games, uh, movies of all sorts. Like it, it's just kind of a, a grab bag of all the shit I like. I, I don't collect vinyl, but I have friends who do. But um, they actually opened a new store like across the street from the old store just the other day. Um, it's called Hi-Fi Lo-Fi, I think. Um, and it's it's a uh, it looks interesting, but they didn't really have it up and running when I set foot in there. But it looks like it's kind of more of the same shit, but more focused. Um, but they, they were doing a great job setting up the place. But um, and also Scarecrow videos, Kyle's go to place for just like window shopping. And also they have like literally every Criterion movie basically uh, for sale. Like just yeah. just they have a whole wall dedicated to just the Criterion collection. So like last time we were in there together, that's how he uh, ended up getting me deep cover. But those are probably two of my favorite spots um, out here. But anyway, um, Tales from the Shelf uh, generally <laughs> has a theme. Um, and we haven't even gotten to that yet. This, this seems to be a new tradition with the program, Brad. Uh, longer intros. I'm sure we're just vibing, dude. We're just I'm like pretty sure fun. people love hearing us just bullshit about exactly nothing for 10 minutes before we even get to the thing. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a required element for any podcast. But yeah, um, this month. The theme, uh, as far as I understand, 
uh, I, I pulled this directly out my ass just like five minutes before we started recording is aquatic adventures uh, or aquatic action, something along those lines. Uh, so I, I was telling Brad before we started recording that we're going to be doing a little something that I, as far as I understand in like Dungeons and Dragons enthusiast circles, uh, there's a term rules lawyering or like lawyering the rules. Um, this is where you you basically use the rule book laid out in front of you. and you, you put a little finesse on it. You spin it to suit your needs. Uh, so there may have to be a little bit of that that comes into play during this discussion because aquatic adventures is pretty broad. It doesn't really point to anything. It just basically means there's some water, there's some action. Okay. Um, so the idea here is that we may have veto power over each other as we go back and forth sharing our, our aquatic adventure picks. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, some of these movies might not have enough water content to really fit under this particular umbrella. Um, and if that is the case, I, I think we should both be authorized to just drop the hammer and say, get that shit out of here. Um, otherwise, you can give us a, a good old uh, Mills Lane. I'll allow it. Um, R.I.P., by the way. Very unfortunate. Uh, Mills Lane, uh, the former uh, judge on television. <laughs> that was a weird that was a weird phase of his career. Judge Mills Lane, uh, former boxing referee, best remembered uh, for being uh, the third man involved in the bite fight, uh, a.k.a. Mike Tyson versus Evander Holyfield 2. Um, and then, of course, uh, the lovable referee from MTV's Celebrity Deathmatch. Um, but yeah, RIP. He passed away very recently. But um, anyway, we should get to the picks, Brad. Um, and as is customary, I will do my hosting duty of promptly throwing Brad directly under the bus, or in this case, I guess, the yacht, um, and ask oh. that he uh, serve up his pick first. So, Brad, what is your first aquatic adventure? Well, you know... Trevor, I know we, we don't want to date this uh, episode at all, but I think it needs to be said. Uh, people might be thinking, what the hell are these guys doing talking about water in December? And the reason that you brought up and you said this is good timing is the release of Avatar, the way of water, way of water, of the water, of water, of the water. <laughs> we might need to beat all that. Uh, I think um, it's way of water, way um, of water, synergy, folks, yes. synergy, promotional synergy. That's what we're going for with our small time podcast. I mean, this by the time you're listening to this, who knows? I might have already gone under the way of water and submerged myself because we all know that Avatar is going to blow us all away um and you know the reasons can blow us all away is uh a man named jimmy c and you know what better way to kick off this uh aquatic adventures than with another jimmy c classic and he does have several aquatic adventures to choose from actually um one of them does not have a Blu-ray or 4K release yet. The Abyss, even though the 4K is supposed to be coming early next year. Um, but no, this one I am talking. I'm going to talk about Titanic. Titanic. Trevor, does this qualify as an aquatic adventure? They're dry. Most of the movie. Most of the movie, they are dry. Most of it. Uh, I'll allow it. All right. All right. 
Uh, I mean, once the water starts rushing in, I mean, it gets wet big time, big time. And uh, I had seen this movie a long, long time ago. And I kind of I don't remember what I thought of it because it was like my sister watched it. She's older than me. And, you know, she was just losing it for Leo. And I was kind of I guess I just wanted to watch people, you know, try and survive the disaster aspect of it. But I rewatched it recently and I got to say, you know, a lot of people make fun of Titanic, but I actually think it holds up quite well. I think it is a really good film. Um, I think it's very well paced. And, you know, the classic thing of you, you get you appease all audiences. You got the romance and you got the disaster thing. So, you know, it's a it's a great date night movie because the guys will love the survival aspect of the last half. The girls will love the romance that carries through the whole thing. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of great stuff there. I mean, the romance, it, you know, it's not like my favorite, but it does work pretty well. Um, this the sort of class uh, structure and, you know, the, the Leo being from the the poor class and Kate Winslet being from the, the upper class like that stuff. That's, you know, that's pretty on the nose, pretty obvious not my favorite. Um, but I think when the ship goes down, I think it's exciting. I, I think it still holds up very well. And I had a, I had a real good time revisiting this, even though it's a very long movie, I think it is paced really well. And, uh, it, it, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun going back to it. Still no, uh, 4k of this one. Surprisingly. Um, let me actually hide that. I was going to show you the inside, but I haven't redeemed the digital code, so I'm not going to show you that, but, I mean, look, this set, we got two Blu-rays, two DVDs. You got everything you need in here. But yeah, Titanic, uh, it, it held up for me. I just watched it earlier this year. Oh, yeah. No, I, I really enjoyed Titanic. I think it's a fantastic film. Um, the visual effects alone are, are very much worth the price of admission. And on top of that, like James Cameron has a knack for taking things that are like on paper, very, very simple and very, very known and very tropey and somehow triggering some aspect of your brain and tricking you into believing you've never seen it before when you absolutely have millions of times. The only, only thing is the devil's in the details. His execution is special. Like, like he really knows how to pace out a film. He really knows how to craft action sequences and, sprinkle in exposition on the fly that feels very organic rather than clunky and obnoxious. Um, and you're absolutely right. Like part, of, like a huge part of the appeal of Titanic is it has that top gun factor where it's got something for everybody or it's like, if you, if you just hang in there, like every 10, 20 minutes or so, it'll throw you an angle that if, if you know, the preceding 20 minutes weren't working for you, guess what? Right around the corner, there's probably something that will, um, and it helps that it's absolutely beautiful to look at. Um, there's a lot of fantastic character actors who really show the fuck up for it. Um, and I mean, James Horner's score, uh, he's one of those people that I, uh, I miss him quite a lot. Uh, he, he did recycle a lot of his, his material over the years for sure. And he did have like a signature sound that he seemed to be like really held fast to. Uh, for a long time there, but man, he gave us some really amazing scores and it really sucks that he's gone. Um, actually that's one thing that popped into my head. Um, when you brought up way of water is that he's not around to compose that film, um, nor any of the other future avatar films. Uh, 
I don't know that that's a huge deal um, because I, I wasn't a huge fan of the score for the, the first Avatar film. Um, but, you know, he's worked with James Cameron so many times. He's done so much magic with him that it's just one of those elements that a part of me is concerned that, like, maybe maybe that's a part of the puzzle that maybe I undervalued. And if he's not present for that, maybe it'll, it'll hurt the product going forward. I don't know. I'm just talking out my ass. I actually haven't read or listened to any reviews for Avatar Way of Water just yet. Um, but I just thought it was worth mentioning because he's a fantastic composer and he's no longer with us. So he, his sound won't be attached to those films going forward. Um, but yeah, Titanic's awesome, man. Like, like I know, especially young boys crapped all over that thing back when it first came out, uh, mostly because Leonardo DiCaprio was being pushed as, you know, a teen idol really, really, Mm -hmm. really hard at the time. So it was like, you know, playground talk everybody thought they're gonna fuck that guy it's like i'm not gonna like this movie just because he's in it it's like well if you actually watch the fucking thing it's really good um and actually uh the girlfriend hasn't seen it um and i'd Mm. really really like to get her to because um but it's actually a really hard sell because the runtime the runtime on titanic is a hard sell for anybody in in 2022 um but i i do think it's a really great film man like you don't so feel the runtime. Like no. it, it, it moves. Um, I mean, the, the, you know, you got the, uh, the, the opening closing with, uh, the, the dive team and the old woman and, you know, just the way that it, it continues to build on itself. Um, even though it is long and like, you know, it's like, Oh, you got to sit down for three hours to watch it when you're watching it. It does not feel like three hours. It, it, it it's always uh, very engaging and entertaining. So, if you can get her to sit down and try it, I don't think you'll have any issue. Yeah, that that's my suspicion is that it'll 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 grab her, it'll it'll hook her. Very very similar to uh, Aliens, actually. You know, previous Jim Cameron and James Horner collaboration. <laughs> um, uh, as soon as the uh, as soon as Lieutenant Gorman starts flipping the fuck out, and uh, he's in the APC watching everything go to shit. Uh, that movie just grabbed her and it was like, even though like it was legitimately kind of scaring her, like she was like, no, I, I must know what happens now. Uh-huh. And that, that's, that's the power of fucking James Cameron, man. He knows how to make a fucking movie. It's, it's, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. It's like, it's almost like baseball shit where it's just like, man, that guy's got some monstrous intangibles to his game. It's yeah. just like on, on paper, it's like good luck quantifying exactly what it is that makes his stuff work so incredibly well. Um, but when he brings it, it's truly special. Everybody always doubts him and he always he always delivers. In fact, he's so he's always thinking two steps ahead. He's thinking two steps ahead so much that people doubted him with Titanic and he blew them away. People doubted him with Avatar, the first one, and it became the highest grossing movie ever. And I think he's 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 playing such 4D chess that he intentionally made the first Avatar disappointing that everyone would say, no, we don't want Avatar 2. And guess what? We're going to go see Avatar 2. And even though I don't even like the first Avatar, Avatar 2 is going to blow me away. I know he's playing 4D chess. It's it's the long con. It's the long con, and I think uh, I'm ready. I'm ready for Avatar 2, 3, 4. Let's keep them coming, baby. 
I just keep Jimmy C. Let's just keep pumping that Jimmy C. Juice into our veins. Yeah, let's just, just plug it directly in there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because like at at this very moment, I have zero hype for Way of Water. Oh, I'm hyped. <laughs> I, I know you're hyped, Brad, and and that's no judgment. And I didn't even like the first one. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of my feeling too. Is like I, like as much as I'm bigging him up, Avatar was fine. It was like a solid like three three point five out of five. It's not bad at all. The generous three for me. Generous. Yeah, it, it's not a great movie, but it gives you enough. If, if you ask me, like I could never point to that and say, well, it sucked. It's like, no, it's just a little bit flat. It's very, very pretty, but flat. Um, <laughs> that came out funny. Um, but uh, yeah, Way of Water at, at this very moment, I I don't have a whole lot of hype for it, um, but I'm sure when I watch it and I will watch it, I'll probably enjoy it. Like I, I basically see no way that it can be bad. So I, I, I think that says a lot that I have that much confidence in the project. That's just like, yeah, go ahead make your fucking cat water people. <laughs> like do whatever the fuck you want. Jim Cameron, I'll watch it. It'll probably be good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you see the, the studio notes for Avatar 4's script. Did you see the what the studio said to the script? No. Oh, you didn't. Oh, I, uh, I, I think it was James Cameron directly said that um, the studio, like I think it was for Avatar 2, the studio notes came back and they had some issues with it. And he just like basically was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do any of that. And then uh, for Avatar 4, the only studio note was they said, Holy fuck. That was the only note, according to him. Apparently, that's what the headlines have been. So he's already hyping up Avatar 4. We haven't even gotten to Avatar 3 yet. And he's already hyping up 4. So, I mean, th- I mean, the script for Avatar 4 has got to be real good. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Holy fuck. <laughs> I guess it could be. That could be bad, actually. I mean... You know, it could be like oh, it's bad. <laughs> it could be such a shit show that the studio is panicking. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh god, we need to pull the plug immediately. <laughs> it's like too late. The money's been spent, brother. <laughs> oh shit. Um, yeah, great pick, Brad. Titanic is very much an aquatic adventure film. Uh, I mean, I bet you you could put that on the spine as the genre, and people would be like, yeah. That's accurate, <laughs> but I'm actually really shocked. That seems to be a thing with his filmography. Uh, either lack of 4K or just lack of disc, because True Lies at this point, that's a running gag, correct? It just yeah. has yet to receive an HD physical release. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he's just uh, I don't know if he's just got his hands in too many pies um, right now, but you know, it's he's the type of director that would, you know, personally want to get in there and like do a horrendous transfer like with T2. So he's, you know, he's just waiting until he's got some free time. But they did say uh, that um, the Abyss and what was the other one? There was I thought it was two. Oh, maybe it was Avatar. It was the first Avatar um, are supposed to be getting 4Ks in early 2023. Oh, um, wow. I don't know what the official source is on that, but I've been seeing it spread amongst the the blu-ray uh rags uh so 
you can look forward to that. <laughs> the Blu-ray dirt sheets uh, for I using mean, wrestling terminology. <laughs> I'll say Dawn of the Discs. Dawn of the Discs. I'll, I'll name drop them. Dawn of the Discs. That's where uh, that's where I get all my breaking. Sometimes they get some scoops that are not supposed to be. Le- they, they'll leak some stuff that's not supposed to be out there, but they they do it. They don't they don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> OK, folks, you heard it here. Dawn of the Discs. They don't give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, I suppose the ball is to me. Uh, So, I mean, for your picks, man, I'm ready to be Franklin D. Roosevelt. (laughs) Who is the U.S. president with the most vetoes in history? Oh, trivia facts from the Brad man. Well, yeah, actually, you would be you would be well versed in the world of trivia. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I just understood that reference. Well, um, yeah. I just looked it up, but uh, it makes sense because he, he did serve the longest. So I guess it makes it. Yeah. But anyway. OK, um, so I'm going to I'm going to serve you up one that requires no veto, requires no lawyering. This very similar to your first pick. This is this is not one that has any nuance or finesse required. Uh, this is this is very much an aquatic adventure film. Uh, so this is an easy one. Uh, and also, it's a 90s film, uh, which is partially why I guess I'm picking it to follow up on Brad's Titanic, uh, which uh, I believe, uh, based on your reversed webcam footage, it looks like Sinatit, <laughs> the, the motion picture, because the text is oh. reversed, Brad. It's like, Sinatit? What the hell is that? Um, okay, so I have here, and who directed this? Nobody anybody knows. Maybe you can look them up while I'm rambling here so i have here a television movie uh a two disc uh two part uh television uh film uh by the name of the beast Mm. peter benchley's the beast uh so this is peter benchley uh author of jaws um and also author of the beast Uh, and also there was another television film that you can get on blu-ray um, called Creature, starring uh, Craig T. Nelson, that also had the Peter Benchley name slapped on it. Um, I have to imagine a lot of Peter Benchley projects got greenlit for TV movies um, in the 90s because of Shark Week um, and also just the proliferation of, of like cable services just spamming Jaws throughout my entire childhood. Um, so I th- I'm, I'm guessing that's what caused projects like this to, to gain ground and get financed and whatnot. But anyway... Uh, this uh, stars uh, William Peterson uh, from Manhunter and <clears throat> that one CSI show or whatever. Uh, and Larry Drake also is in this. Uh, Dr. Giggles himself, Larry Drake, <laughs> is in The Beast. Um, yeah, this is a, a two-part film. It's a, it's a TV movie, so it's, it's very much not edited for television, but it's very tame in terms of violence and whatnot. But in case you couldn't tell from this, horrendous photoshop job um i don't know if you can make that out brad but this is one of the ugliest fucking covers i have on my shelf and that is saying a (laughs) lot uh because i own a lot of schlock i own a lot of shit movies this is not a terrible fucking movie but wow just wow that is incredibly bad but if you couldn't tell from the cover uh to anybody who's just listening and not watching um hopefully the stream is working by the way uh this is a movie about a giant squid uh, attacking a small town, a small coastal town. 
Uh, so it's very similar to Jaws, although uh, this one pulls a Gorgo or a Jaws 3 on us uh, by having multiple squids. There's a baby squid and a mama squid. And the first half is, oh, we I'm I'm sure glad we took care of that giant squid. Oh, no, it was just the baby squid. <laughs> and part two is we got to deal with mama squid, who good. is, of course, bigger. It's going by... Uh, Star Wars and uh, Independence Day uh, legacy sequel logic where it's like, well, we got to do the same thing, but it has to be bigger. That means it's better, right? If it's bigger. <laughs> it's like, Oh, God. Now that I think about it, Jeff Goldblum has done that no less than twice in the same decade, I believe, with with Independence Day and Jurassic World, where they did the same fucking oh, it's the same thing, but it's bigger. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That is that's one of the most cringe fucking things I, I've seen in blockbuster cinema as of late is even even just watching Han Solo talk about Starkiller base and just mutter under his breath. Oh, it's bigger. It's <laughs> like, why does it have to be bigger? It's like, oh, I yeah. think that was just like candid audio of Harrison Ford <laughs> muttering about having just read the script. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, The Beast uh, is a movie that despite its horrible cover, um, when it aired on television, my uh, my dad uh, recorded this on two separate tapes. Um, funny enough, we lost the first tape. <laughs> um, so I ended up watching the second half of The Beast over and over and over and over again. It was like neck and neck with speed uh, for movies I watched most in the 90s. And I'm sure my brother hates my guts for it, for monopolizing the TV and the VCR with endless rewatches of half of a giant squid movie <laughs> um but yeah i this movie is very near and dear to my heart it's very very cozy um it's it's nothing magnificent by any means some of the special effects are literally just a, a rubber squid toy going on a like a a plastic submersible model or something it, mm-hmm. really horrendous special effects um for the most part not very violent unfortunately it does have a body count though it does have a couple of good attack sequences for like a young, like a young viewer like myself at the time. Like there's some savagery where like they they point out that the giant squids uh, suckers have hooks in them. So not only does okay. it like latch onto you like a like a suction cup, it also has like an actual bony appendage that comes through it, like a like a Denonicus or a Velociraptor toe. Yeah. Um, and we do get a couple of shots of people getting those like in them which you know for a television movie it's pretty savage um but most of the violence is implied and whatnot and it's very by the it's very paint by numbers it's very by the book it's a boilerplate eat em up um, which is a genre term that brad has coined um in our discussions over the past few years um but yeah i like this movie it's not great um but a lot of it takes place on the high seas um in fishing boats um and also at a coastal town so it has that amity vibe from like say jaws same author makes a lot of sense um but yeah the majority of the action does take place on the ocean on like probably sound stages with with just you know like people like waving saws and stuff to make thunder noises and like throwing buckets at larry drake <laughs> pretty sure he had a lousy time on the set of this one because he is fucking <laughs> wet and cold yeah. throughout most of this movie and he's also a fucking drunk throughout the whole movie which now that I mentioned that he was probably having a lot of fun doing that. <laughs> Maybe he did some of that method acting shit. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's Peter Benchley's The Beast, directed by Jeff Blechner. 
to anybody. I did look did. up uh, the black the blackster the um, blackman. Yeah, I did look him up. Uh, pretty much all TV he's done. A lot of TV movies. Um, he did direct the Flowers for Algernon TV movie with uh, Matthew Modine, and also the uh, Rear Window remake TV movie with uh, Christopher Reeves. Um, and most notably, I didn't know that existed, but yeah, it was oh, that yeah. post post riding accident? I would assume that would explain why you know he is you know stuck at home i would guess i was, I was like about the, to say that's actually a really good way to to utilize your christopher reeve because he's always been a fantastic actor like even outside of the superman stuff so that like yeah. if that was the case that's kind of cool looks yeah based on images looks like yeah yeah that's i'm cool. not a christopher reeve's historian but 1998 uh, yeah i'm pretty out. sure that was that was post and then uh most notably he did also direct one episode of welcome back cotter so there you go. Hey, Mr. Cotter. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I would really like to watch uh, the beast. I, I, th- I think I would have fun with it. Yeah. Uh, as I said, Brad coined the term eat em up. Um, if you're not familiar, dear listener and or viewer, hopefully viewer. Um, and eat em up is essentially an animal attack movie. Uh, there's many, many movies that fit into this genre. Fortunately, uh, it's a it's a personal favorite of, I guess, both of ours. Um, I was raised on the shit. Um, I, I love me some animal attack movies. <laughs> some of the best <laughs> shit out there. Um, and the Beast is most certainly that template. Um, yeah, I, I think you would like this. Like, like for me, it gets extra bonus points because because of the 90s nostalgia factor. That's something that as I'm getting older, like I hate to say it, but like it does actually it does actually carry some some weight like it holds value to me is just see seeing the world as i actually remember it like it, in particular fashion and, mm-hmm. and hair where it's just like holy shit people were butt fucking ugly when i was young. <laughs> <laughs> I was like wow <laughs> like like going back and watching like seinfeld season one or something it's like yikes man the color combinations and the shoulder pads my god the shoulder pads um but this one's a little bit later into the 90s so it doesn't have as much of that but you know william peterson is an engaging screen presence i didn't watch him uh in you know what is probably these days his most noteworthy role like his his long tenure on television and whatnot but Manhunter, like you can, you can see he's got chops. Like he, like he, he's up to the task to carry a movie, and he most certainly does in The Beast. Um, and it has a nice rhythm to it. Like it is too overlong because it is a two-parter for sure. Like that is probably its biggest sin is that it's overlong. Um, but fortunately, it 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 knows how to pace things out just so where it's like, you know, we're we're farting around on the shore, but you know, ten minutes from now, you know, after the commercial break, after the fade to black on the DVD, because they have that shit, um, like you'll you'll be you know subject to more squid attack footage or something. So it's you're never bored for too long. Um, but yeah, this is one that I probably could never get the girlfriend to watch. Not like Titanic, <laughs> um, but it's one that like even just looking at it, even looking at that shitty fucking cover, this shitty fucking cover. I do actually kind of want to go back and rewatch it. Um, so, yeah, that was my pick, Brad. Now, I don't want to get too in the weeds here, and we've probably already covered this a little bit. Don't want to get too in the seaweeds here, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Uh, so 
I think you're probably going to disagree with me on this, and that's fine. You can be wrong. That's fine. I mean, <laughs> you can life. be wrong on your, your own life. show. <laughs> now I don't know about you. This you could be way. This might you might be way wrong here. But I separate my TV out from my movies. So would this go in TV or would it go in movies? Because on IMDb, this says TV miniseries because it did air in two parts. Yeah, I would classify this as a TV. Oh, wait. Oh, technicality, Brad. Technicality. With almost 80 minutes of restored scenes previously edited from earlier releases. This is the original version. So Mm. I think. I think this is a a version unique to to physical media. Okay. Probably not like the broadcast version. Um, but to answer your question more directly, because I'm I'm pussyfooting around it. Um, I don't. I do think of it as a TV movie uh, because it was aired in two parts, and that's how I remember it. I um, mean, how I most often watched it. Um, but I don't separate um, mostly because I have very little TV. And also it's on DVD, which I'm currently in the process of consolidating and liquidating. Yeah. Uh, so it's over with those, the ones all the way back there mm-hmm. that we don't talk about as much because it makes Brad gag whenever I trot one of these tall boxes out. <laughs> I should I should clarify, though, that yeah. if, if it was a TV movie, I'd be fine with putting it in movies. If it's a TV movie, that's cool. I wouldn't put it in TV, but TV miniseries, I would put it in TV. Is so, this, well, I, I didn't expect this aspect of rules lawyering, <laughs> but it's it's two parts. Exactly mm-hmm. two parts. Does that denote a series, Brad, or is that a two part film? I, I would consider that. A, I think that would qualify as a miniseries. Episode I, one I, and episode two is, yep. is a series. I, for example, I have Stephen King's It in television because okay. it is two parts. Uh, I believe IMDb lists it as a miniseries. I would not log it on Letterboxd, um, but um, like, uh, you know, Duel, Stephen King's Duel, which I believe yeah. that was a TV movie. That I would put that in the movies. I wouldn't put that in TV. Okay, well, by that logic. And I say Stephen King's Duel, Steven Spielberg's Duel, but. Steven Spielberg, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, I will allow that. That that okay. definition makes sense to me. So officially, The Beast is a two-part mini-series. Therefore, it is television. Therefore, if I do rewatch it and I log it, you're 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 you have the go-ahead to wag your finger and say, uh 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 uh, you did it wrong, Trevor. That's not a movie. <laughs> I will say those two-part miniseries. If I'm gonna be lenient on anything, I wouldn't judge you too much for that because I almost I almost want I want to log Stephen King's It and Salem's Lot. You know, I want to log those, but I can't break that rule. It's once you do that, it's a slippery slope. So I can't do it, even though I want to. I can't personally do it. it uh, we were living in a society the last time I checked. <laughs> <laughs> Principles, yeah. laws. Mm-hmm. We need to hold fast to these things. Otherwise, like you say, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. You don't want to yeah. go down that road. Serious matters in the world of collecting physical media and logging shit on Letterboxd. That's all I think about. Same here, bud. <laughs> That's why we do the show. Anyway. 
Uh, Brad, uh, that was my pick. Uh, ball is to you, sir. Beach ball is to you, sir. What is your next aquatic hey. adventure? Yeah, I'm I starting like to get some of that Brad shit going. Well, Enjoy, uh, dear listener. <laughs> um, I'll try and go stay in a little more fringe. I don't think it's that far. I think I think this is a pretty clear aquatic adventure, but I'm gonna do, go something that's not as clear cut. So maybe there's a li- maybe there'll be a little back and forth. I don't know, but this movie is one that I just uh, rewatched not too long ago. Just rewatched it for the first time on 4K. And that is Lucio Fulci's Zombie, a.k.a. Zombie 2, a.k.a. Zombie Flesh Eaters, which uh, Blue Underground put out in a beautiful release. Uh, I did not dig into any of the features here, but the transfer is incredible. So the reason I would include this as an aquatic adventure, first of all, it does uh, end up taking place mainly on an island uh, like in the Caribbean. So there's a lot of beach sequences. Um, there's a lot of sequences in them on a boat getting to the island. Um, there is the infamous zombie versus shark fight, which is, you know, probably the most famous part of the movie. And it is incredible. And it is very it's as wet as you can get. The actor is completely submerged. You can't get any wetter than that. Um, and if that wasn't enough, the opening sequence takes place on, um, is it the Hudson river? Uh, what's I can't remember one. It's one of the New York city rivers. Is it the Hudson? I can't remember. Sure. But what, what's the, we'll what's the one that's that. really, everyone says is really gross. I mean, that sounds like the Hudson to me, but is it I, the Hudson? I, I, <laughs> okay. I'm from the West coast, Brad. I don't need, I need not concern myself with the matters yeah. of those New Yorkers. Well, I, I I believe it's on the Hudson River, um, and it's a uh, a boat, an abandoned boat is floating in the river, and the, the Coast Guard come, pulls up onto the boat, and it's empty, except they end up finding that the only thing on it is a zombie, and they uh, get in a little tussle with the zombie, and at some point, the zombie falls into the water, and then later on, our main character is an investigative reporter. They go down to the docks. They go onto the boat. And you can hear the, the, you know, the, the flow of the water. So there's a lot of water in this thing. I mean, I said this is this is a little less clear cut, but there's a lot of water in this thing. I think it qualifies as an aquatic adventure. What say you, Trevor? All out. <laughs> Woo. All right. All right. All right. Thank goodness. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the infamous zombie versus shark action sequence. I mean, you, you covered all your bases by by noting that it's not just that one scene that, you know, even people who haven't seen the movie, you know, will will have known if they're, you know, up on their horror cinema or their Fulci cinema. Um, yeah, I, I actually haven't seen that one, but I know it by reputation. And of course, I've at the very least, seeing the zombie versus shark uh, sequence. But on the whole, what's your general assessment of zombie by Lucio Fulci? I, I like it a lot. I mean, it's uh, the gore and the kills with pretty much every Fulci movie. That's the highlight um, in this one. I feel like, you know, even less than some of his other works, like the the story and the characters, like the plot, you know, there's really not anything there. It's really just, you know, tying together these 
you know, memorable deaths and great, incredible practical effects and gore. Um, but I think this movie more than maybe a lot of his others has some of his best stuff, including the zombie, uh, versus shark sequence. There's the, uh, infamous, uh, which I don't know if you've seen or heard about, but there's a famous sequence involving an eye, uh, where a woman gets slowly pulled, a zombie grabs her through a door, breaks the wood, and slowly grabs her head and pulls her closer and closer to the the broken splinters of the door, and she eventually gets gouged in the eye. Um, so yeah, a lot, lot of cool stuff. I, I like the atmosphere in this. Um, I I don't really I don't love love Lucio Fulci, but I really respect his work and like the guy, and just the fact that he's willing to kind of just like just be like a sleazy genre director. Like he's not trying to hide anything. He's not trying to class it up. I mean, you know, even the zombie versus shark thing, everyone has heard about it and maybe seen the clips on YouTube, but what you probably haven't seen because YouTube won't let you see it is that for five minutes before the zombie versus shark scene, one of our main characters gets completely nude and goes scuba diving. There's nude scuba diving in here. So there's even more water and there's even more sleaze for you. Listen, this Lucio Fulci, he loves nudity and gore. That's what he loves. And if you watch a Lucio Fulci movie, you're going to get more than enough of both of those. And he also apparently loves water because there's a lot of it in this one. So this guy loves nudity, gore, and water. Sounds like my kind of guy. Love him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, folks at home, um, you likely wouldn't be aware of this, but um, this is actually like part of the reason why Brad and I are doing this subject is not just the promotional synergy of avatar, the way of water coming out very soon, but also just the fact that like Brad, especially, but me also, we, we both seem to have this thing about like water and movies, like, like movies involving the water or taking place on the water are just something we're both drawn to. Um, Brad has said this numerous times on his own show, the cinema speak mm-hmm. podcast. I don't cite it, publicly as often but it is you know privately true like it's also something that i'm drawn to as well um so yeah i can see why that aspect of fulci's game would appeal to you in particular but yeah i what are what are some of his other classics like off the top of your head like like just two or three of them because i'm i'm getting my wires crossed when it comes to other italian horror directors like mm-hmm. gore gore hounds of his like of his contemporaries and whatnot i'm trying to pinpoint exactly what his flavor is his most famous is probably the beyond ah. um and that's part of his gates of hell trilogy which is city, city of, of the, the living, living dead, dead. Yeah. yo you got it bud and then also um house by the cemetery ah, those three okay, okay um, so I would... i've seen i've seen most of those uh, house okay. by the cemetery i think is the only one of those i haven't it's the weakest of that trilogy i would say nice. um, <laughs> <laughs> not, it's not worth it's not like you know it's still worth watching but um i would say the beyond is probably my favorite of his i think it's it's got great gore i think the atmosphere is the best in that um and i i'd say it's probably his strongest work but i, I would put zombie as a close second just because the the moments that are memorable are really great. Um, also, the final shot of the zombies crossing. I don't know what bridge it is, and you probably won't know either. Brooklyn Bridge. I don't know. One of the bridges in New York, but the zombies walking across the Brooklyn Bridge. is That's a pretty uh, awesome final shot. Some fucking bridge <laughs> <laughs> yeah. over <Yeah>. there. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, it's uh it's it's a lot of fun. And uh Blue Underground, they've been doing a real great job with their uh their 4Ks. Uh they also released House by the Cemetery on 4K. Um and some some other ones as well. But I know City of the Living Dead, that one is going to be released by Cauldron Films. Um, and I think their pre-order for that goes up on, it might be this Friday or next Friday. I don't know. Um, unfortunate that I just rewatched that. So I don't really have any desire to rewatch it anytime soon. But the, the FOMO might hit me and I might, because it is limited to like 3,000 units or something. So we'll see. But Yikes. anyway. That's yeah. very limited. And by the way, uh, folks at home who are only listening and not watching, uh, Zombie Backwards is Abe Maz. <laughs> Abe Maz, the motion picture directed by Lucio Fulci. I'm not going to try to say that backwards, but Abe Maz. Um, yeah, I, that's one that I'd like to watch because um, there was a there was a phase in my life where I frequented uh, Stomp Tokyo and Bad Movies org and even a little bit of bloody disgusting uh so basically his entire filmography like back then like when i was in high school and stuff i i was aware of most of it um but i never i very seldom actually watched it so i i know like a lot of the more famous sequences like like the the eye gouge sequence he seems to have a thing for eye trauma yeah i know that's an aspect of his game that's noteworthy um mm -hmm. but i know about that i know about the the zombie shark fight and stuff and I've seen a couple of his other movies. The Beyond, I remember being a lot of fun. Like that's just 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 like a a fucking grab bag of awesome weirdness and and gore. Like it's mm -hmm. it do, don't ask it to make a lick of fucking sense, um, but just just hang out for the vibe and the visuals. And actually, that's a funny thing that I think you and I have in common. Um, it's very very difficult for the girlfriend to digest is vibe movies. And, and like visual, like aesthetic driven films where it's just like, I don't need this thing to make any sort of sense. It has an internal logic that I'm pretty sure that the people making it knew what it all meant or, wh or what it what it was supposed to mean. But I don't think they had any clue of how to convey it to anyone who wasn't themselves, which is a failing on their part. Um, but for me, it's like if the stars align just right and a movie only gives me that and it, sometimes it just works, man. Like, like mm -hmm. sometimes it just it just feels right. And if it's nice enough to look at and nice enough to listen to, sometimes that's all I need. Um, yeah. But that seems to be a, a thing with with a lot of his contemporaries as well. It's just like sometimes it's a little the logic is a little iffy. But if you hang around for the ride, you'll probably get a good experience out of it as long as you're you know aware of what you're paying for up front. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Pick, secondary. Right? Yeah. The plot is plot is secondary a lot of times with movies like that. And for me, if 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 the chemistry mixes up just right, it, it it's very worthwhile. Some of my favorite shit is like that. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, nice pick, Brad. Uh, Blue Underground is not a distributor I have any discs from as of yet. Um, but who knows? Maybe one of these days I'll find like a pick of theirs that that speaks to me. But for now, I don't have any other stuff. Um, but good disc. You like it? Yeah, yeah, it looked great. I mean, it goes perfectly with the theme of this month. Blue, blue underground, blue water, blue under bl underwater. I think she's the name to blue underwater, under, not underground. But, you know, just a great group, great group of guys and gals that work there. We love them at Blue Underground. Yeah, I mean, it, as far as I understand, they're a pretty small operation. But damn, they uh, they were very much ahead of the 4K curve 
Um, yeah. In terms of like volume of releases, like they were one of the first indie publishers I, I can recall, like really like kind of serving as the tip of the spear for that sort of movement. So good on them for being ahead. Um, but yeah, excellent pick, Brad. Um, okay. So uh, I, uh, for my pick here, uh, I'm going to do my, I'm going to flex my hosting privilege here. And Brad is always welcome to do this. He very seldom he very seldom practices this, but the, the tales from the shelf uh, has very few hard and fast rules. Um, and you'll find that I, if there are any, I will readily break them to, to suit my own needs. Um, so uh, what I'm going to do here is just serve up uh, three picks in one go uh, because they're all from the same franchise uh, and it's just easier this way. Uh, so I have here uh, three films from probably the most important franchise to me as a human being. Um, first film franchise I probably have any memories of having watched. Um, I have on Blu-ray and 4K, I have Godzilla 1984, uh, aka The Return of Godzilla. Uh, this is the Japanese version, not Godzilla 1985, which is the uh, American edition that has additional sequences with a lot of Dr. Pepper uh, advertising embedded in the Pentagon, in the War Room sequences. Um, this is from Kraken releasing, who are very small, um, but they put out a lot of shit that speaks directly to me. Um, so I... I won't be surprised if I end up owning quite a lot of their catalog at some point in my life. Uh, I also have uh, from director Hideaki Anno, Shin Gojira on Blu-ray. Um, and god damn, that digital HD just like sticker is horrendous to look at. Just kind of, it kind of like breaks up the cover really badly. Yeah, you uh, got to try and get that out of there, bud. I got some goo gone. I got some goo gone. I'll work on yep. that. <laughs> That's my project for tonight. Uh, and then last one. Uh, on 4K, I have Godzilla versus Kong, uh, which is, I guess, the most recent Godzilla project. Uh, although that um, most that uh, Netflix series, the animated series, might be the most recent technically, but um, yeah, this is on 4K. So uh, Godzilla is, of course, a monster that is born from nuclear fire, um, or at least awakened by it, uh, depending on your interpretation. Um, but he's also uh, a beast. He's a, like an amphibious creature, and he is, his origins are the sea. Like generally, he like the beginning and end of most Godzilla stories begins in the ocean with him emerging, and ends with him receding into the depths. If you ask me, that's like one of the cooler parts of Godzilla 2014, the American one, um, is the last shot. Uh, like at, oh, I was yeah. just like, wow, he got it. Like he gets it, man. Like, like just the the shot of his fins just going into the ocean, then snap to black. It's like, yeah, that's the end of the story. the The whole reason we showed up is is gone. Like he went home. That's it. There's no more. I was like, wow, that's incredible. He he got it. That's a really amazing movie in a lot of ways. Uh, like I I don't think people give it enough credit because there there's some shit going on behind the scenes. Like there's some subtlety to that story that I think is missed by a lot of people in the same way that a lot of people misunderstood the Northmen. <laughs> a lot of people got the wrong message from a lot of the wrong people got the wrong message from that fucking movie. Yeah. It's kind of baffling to me. It's like, did you, did you watch the fucking movie? Oh, you did. And you still, that's what you got. Okay. Well, anyway, yeah. um, 
these three movies, I'll just uh, hurry my way through them because there's three of them. Uh, so Godzilla 1984. Um, this is I don't know if this is anyone's favorite Godzilla movie. I like it quite a lot. Um, from a production value standpoint, this movie was made in response uh, to the Dino De Laurentiis uh, King Kong movie from the 1970s. Uh, basically, Toho got the idea that it's like, you know, Godzilla has been retired since 1975. That King Kong movie made a big splash. It's like, you know, we should throw some money at, you know, resurrecting our, our big guy for his 30th anniversary. Uh, so they did so by bringing him back as a villain. Um, he had not often been framed as a villain between 1954 and 1984. Like his first appearance, yes, he was a villain. And then occasionally after that, like in Mothra versus Godzilla, he'd be kind of a, he was more of a bully or an asshole than an actual out and out villain. Um, but in this one, he like the musical accompaniment for him in this uh, by uh, Reijiro Koroku. I think is the composer's name. The score for this movie, Brad. Look it up, please. Um, please. Like at, at the very least, the main title theme. It, it's like the theme music of a fucking demon. Like in the words of Jason <laughs> Lee, I'm a fucking demon. <laughs> like Godzilla's a fucking demon in this. If you if you like listen to the musical accompaniment. Um, but in terms of water uh, incorporated in the story. Uh, the opening takes place on a fishing boat wherein uh, Godzilla emerges in front of the boat and causes a like a nuclear storm that like whips whips the ship up into a frenzy and like kills most of the crew. Uh, there's a giant sea louse, a giant radioactive sea louse um, that attacks the crew members. And like there's a bunch of mummified corpses in this one. This one's actually kind of violent, uh, shockingly yeah. so. Um, and then there's uh, probably the best submarine attack sequence in any Godzilla movie where a, a USSR, a Russian uh, submarine, is attacked by Godzilla. And it's very Hunt for Red October, very, very uh, Das Boot, like very traditional submarine drama, but with the benefit mm-hmm. of everybody speaking Russian with subtitles and um, very... I don't know, po-faced performances from all around, but it's, it's like a dreadful sequence where Godzilla wrecks a nuclear submarine. Uh, and then finally, uh, when Godzilla first shows up in Tokyo, uh, there's this really awesome shot where like the entirety of like the Japanese, like ground military force, like all of their tanks are just lined up on the shore and they throw everything they got at them. And in, in just like one sweeping motion, just like one nuclear death breath, just one single shot. The entirety of the ground force is gone. And it's just like, holy shit. <laughs> like that, that's not anything we'd seen in a Godzilla movie before, but it's mm-hmm. it's pretty spectacular. They spared no expense with the special effects in that one. I've pointed it out before, but it's like the first time they really, uh, really attempted to nail the scale of things. And Tokyo in the 1980s, the skyscrapers in that city, which, you know, was re- rebuilt with modern technology, were hundreds of meters tall. Godzilla's like, he started out in like 55 meters tall in 54. And in this one, I think they bumped him up to 80. So he's like a third the size of a lot of the buildings on the set. And it's really incredible to actually see the scale miniatures done up to look like that. It's, it's very seldom been done uh, in, in Godzilla films. So that's like, probably the first time they actually went to the trouble to do that. Uh, Shin Gojira, really big deal. Uh, incredible movie. Uh, very, very funny at times, but also kind of spooky at times. Uh, I call this uh, bureaucracy Godzilla. 
<laughs> because it's mostly about po- political bureaucracy and you know the the troubles that come with it. But I've been trying to get the girlfriend to watch this forever, but I think she's scared that it'll upset her because of that. <laughs> um, but uh, a lot of the visuals in the opening sequence of this movie parallel that of the Fukushima disaster and the the tsunami and stuff. Uh, that came through so like they're deliberately referencing an an actual disaster that befell the japanese like in their contemporary history so it's Mm -hmm. very vital to the plot and very 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 vital to the allegory uh, of a lot of the narrative in here Um, and lastly godzilla versus kong if you look at the international posters for this movie um like china china in particular uh put the the middle uh, action sequence on the poster. Uh, basically, it's Godzilla and, Go- and King Kong grappling with each other underwater, which actually happens in the movie. It's not false advertising, but it happens in the middle of the movie, not the finale. Um, but the staging of that action sequence I actually found to be very engaging, uh, especially considering like they really uh, took advantage of the tools that they had at their disposal, because a big problem that comes with traditional suitmation with, with a guy in a rubber Godzilla suit is that they're inflexible and not very agile. Even when they tried to scale it back to some degree, it's like, he still can't move very well. Like good luck asking him to break out into a trot, let alone trying to run. Um, so like whenever Godzilla would engage in like sea battles or anything in, in suitmation movies, it would usually be him, from the waist up because the guy was hot and Andor was afraid of drowning. So he wouldn't be wearing the lower half of the costume. <laughs> and it would usually just be him like doing this and breathing fire, just like, just like throw barfing laser beams at each uh-huh. other because they couldn't do any actual choreography of any complexity. So to do it all in CGI, it's like, okay, now we have two animals that can move like you'd expect them to. And it's like, well, what can we do here? It's like, well, we can have King Kong do some, evangelion shit and jump back and forth between aircraft carriers and we can have this really pitched battle where it's like okay this one guy is adept at being in the water and the other guy not so much and it's like what can we do with this it's like well we can have them tie up and him try to drown him or something i thought it was a very well storyboarded and executed action sequence um and in in otherwise kind of uneven film it was it was a standout moment but anyway that was a bunch of godzilla shit Uh, i've been talking your ear off brad i should probably invite you into the conversation (laughs) no i mean you're you're definitely the uh the expert when it comes to uh the godzilla franchise so i you know i'm i'm the guy to just let you let you go off on that but you know i yeah i think i gotta i gotta give you the approval on uh on all those i mean if there was one that i would veto it would be Godzilla versus Kong, but I'm not gonna because it does have that sequence in the middle. And I don't know if the, honestly, I don't know if that would have been enough. I don't know if that would have been enough, but the final sequence, it is raining very heavily. So that rain is going to fill your cup up just enough to get you to the line. I think <laughs> I think that's going to, that's just enough to get you there. In my opinion. Thank God. <laughs> you plead that case. You're lucky I'm over here giving you that it- ammo. Yeah, that was that was very generous of you, Brad. <laughs> Thank you. Like you spared me. Yeah. <laughs> kind sir. <laughs> but I, I I would like to watch uh 
Godzilla 84, you're kind of selling me on it. It sounds like it sounds like something I would like quite a bit. I I do really like um, Shin Godzilla. Also, I've seen it uh, twice now. And um, uh, but 84 sounds uh, pretty good. Sounds sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, even if you don't end up watching it, like I said, try listening to some of the score for it um, because it's really incredible stuff. Um, I don't know very much else that the guy has done. Um, actually, I, I have a CD of his. Um, it's it's the Giver Image album. Um, so if I say the word Giver, does that mean anything to you? Uh, no, unless you're putting Mick in front of it and we're solving, <laughs> uh, you know, building something out of homemade object, household objects. Mick Giver, uh, the thing that Patty and Selma are always trying to watch um uh guyver or guyba uh, i actually have worn the shirt uh, a few times on the show um it's a manga and an anime uh, from the late 80s uh it's very similar to like common rider or skull man or something but um anyway you don't know what i'm talking about um <laughs> <laughs> they made a couple of live action movies of it here in the states though um one of which is famous or infamous rather for having uh, the Giver mask split down the middle with Mark Hamill's face on the other side of it. Mm. And he he's not the Giver in the movie. Like he never actually wears the costume. It's just he was the biggest name in the cast. So they yeah. put him big as life and twice as ugly on the cover. Um, I don't exactly remember where I'm going with this. But <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to talk about Giver. <laughs> hey, that's all right, man. This is this is your your floor to talk about whatever you want. Oh, that's right. Uh, so the composer. Um, mm. So there's there's a CD that I remember purchasing and uh, I ordered it from overseas. It's called the Giver Image Album. And what it was. And this is a curious thing that I don't think we would do in this country. Maybe maybe they would. Um, it's a it's an entire album comprised of pieces of music. uh created created to be associated with a thing that didn't have musical accompaniment so basically people who read the comic and people yeah people who read the comic made music that they thought would go well with the comic okay and some some of the music is directly lifted from the animated adaptation of the comic but a lot of it is original composition that was never utilized anywhere. It was just like this sound goes with these images and this story. So hmm. it's a really curious idea where, where it's just like a bunch of creative people got together and, and who were fans of the thing or something and threw together some music they thought would go well with the story. And a lot of it does. But um, he uh, he composed the score of the animated version. Um, and a lot of his tracks are on that album that I have. Um, he has a really unique sound. Um, I, I can't exact. I don't have the vocabulary to explain it, but good composer. I like him. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'll have to take well, a listen to some of those uh, some of those tracks. Yeah. Uh, at the very least, listen to the opening title uh, for Godzilla 1984 because it. He's a fucking demon, Brad. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's enough Godzilla talk. Uh, I promise you, that's all the Godzilla that will come up this session. But uh, ball is to you, sir. Uh, what is your next aquatic adventure? Oh, well, let's go with this one, I guess. Why not? Um, you know, let's 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 go back a few years 
because, uh, you know, I guess zombie that was 79. So I guess I've gone back a little bit. Let's go b- back even further and uh, talk about a movie that I watched uh, when I was young. It's probably on Turner Classic Movies. Maybe it was on AMC. I don't know where I watched it, but uh, it is definitely I don't even think I need to plead my case. It is definitely a water movie. It is an aquatic adventure. It is. It's even got a body of water right in the title. It's Creature from the Black Lagoon. Creature from the Black Lagoon, which uh, I I don't know if I'd say I think it's like the best universal monster movie. But it's probably the one that is my favorite just because I, again, I like water. I like the setup of I, I, the setup of, you know, like a, an expedition going into the, the heart of the jungle kind of thing and discovering this creature that's in there. And obviously there's some, you know, not very subtle subtext of them going into his home and him being treated as the monster by them, even though they're the ones invading. Uh, but I, I think it works pretty well. I, the universal monster films, they're fun. They're, they don't overstay their welcome. They're all fairly short. Like this is an hour, 20 minutes. And that's one of the longer universal monster films. Um, but there's some great, uh, underwater sequences, underwater photography. That's a uh, pretty iconic, like the, uh, creature swimming underneath her, an amazing shot. And uh, I like the design of the creature. I think even though its lips in this uh, cover are a little more pronounced. (laughs) I mean, the movie's in black and white, so maybe they are are that red. I guess I've never seen the actual uh, suit in the in color. But I wouldn't based on the black and white. I do not picture that red of lips. I mean, this looks like the creature is ready for a night on the town. but I, I do really like the design of the creature and I think it is uh, fairly creepy. Like, uh, you know, I'm sure back in the day, obviously it probably scared the bejesus out of people, but uh, even watching it now, especially with the, uh, the music in the film, it, it is uh shot just like shockingly like, you know, weird and ugly looking for lack of a better term. Um, but no, I, I really enjoy creature from the black lagoon it this uh blu-ray does have the 3d version i've never watched it in 3d i don't have a 3d television but um yeah i believe it was released theatrically in 3d i think that was the craze at the time um but yeah it's uh it's a it's a it's a classic monster flick what what more is there to say oh yeah no it it's kind of funny um i told you there would be no more godzilla but Please check this for me, Brad. I want to say that came out the same year as Godzilla. 54? Oh, it's got to be close. It's got to be close. Let me see if I can find it on here. Yeah, it looks like 54. Yep. Ooh! Yeah, I know my shit. You got it. Uh, so, yeah, the, the Gill Man. Uh, Universal's arguably last, I guess, and most unappreciated or underappreciated monster, um, mm-hmm. but also probably my favorite, honestly, just because, I, again... I like water. I'm drawn to the water. Monsters that come from the water in particular. Some of my favorite shit. Uh, those were the movies I wanted to make when I was a kid. Uh, it was basically Jaws. Like, like, you know, God knows how many other kids. But yeah, the Gill Man, for whatever the fuck reason, Universal just hates that guy. <laughs> they hate that Gill Man because they don't give him any love. Like, we got a Benicio Del Toro headlined Wolfman. Uh, 
that went through like three directors and was a complete total fucking shit show. It had some good gore. I will give it that. And some decent transformation sequences and whatnot. But they threw money at that. They threw money at Dracula Untold. They've thrown money at Van Helsing and countless Frankenstein movies, including one that I don't think anybody saw that was a Daniel Radcliffe one. Where he oh, plays. yeah. 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 You know what I'm talking about. I didn't see it. I don't know anybody who has. Have you, Brad? No, I have not. Yeah. But, you know, they, they throw all this love at all those things. We even got an Invisible Man, two of them in the form of Hollow Man and the Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss. Ain't no Gill Man out there. We don't get no Gill Man <laughs> for whatever the fuck reason. Universal just hates that Gill Man. And it's really a shame because I love the Gill Man. I think it's a fantastic design. I mean, I guess we got the shape of water, but it seemed like they were going out of their way to like not 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 like put a hat on that, you know, like it's it's not officially you know, a creature from the Black Lagoon movie, even yeah. though the iconography, the image of it, the aesthetic is so, so close. Uh, I, I guess that's the closest we've had. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess the Monster Squad um, is maybe one of the the only modern-ish reimaginings we've had of that uh, brought to us by Stan Winston. Have you seen the Monster Squad, Brad? I, I have not, no. It's a fun one. Uh, yeah. it, it's not like an out-and-out classic or anything. Um, although maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that, but it's a lot of fun, like a Halloween time watch with your friends. It's a lot of fun. That's how I watched it most recently. And that, that was exactly the right setting for it. It was just with some friends on the couch pointing and laughing at it. Um, it, it has layers of depth to it that you wouldn't expect. Plus it has that 1980s, like horror vibe to it where it's like, it, it features a lot of kids and it puts them in legitimate danger, which is something you don't get outside of like Stranger Things and stuff these days in, in modern cinema. So that's mm-hmm. that's always nice. But the the Gilman suit that they built for that is very, very impressive. I mean, it's Stan Winston, I think a couple of years prior to Predator. So he was he was doing some shit. I think it may even have been before Aliens. Um, but yeah, I haven't I haven't seen the first creature from the Black Lagoon since I was really little. I I don't remember it at all, really, except for something involving a cave and the underwater shot that you mentioned. Some of the underwater photography, very similar to a lot of early James Bond movies, kind of feels like we had underwater photography equipment, so we built a movie around it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it kind of feels like test, test footage at times, but the compositions of some of those shots, in particular, the one you're talking about, legit like really stunning stuff. Also leading lady in that she's great mm-hmm. to say as far as, you know, the starlets of the universal monsters catalog, she's, she's great. Just leave it at that. <laughs> it's it's really great. Amen. Yeah. But I think the most recent one I saw and maybe have the most memories of is the third one. Uh, okay. The creature walks among us, which I've never seen any of the sequels. Yeah. I don't know anything about the second one. But the creature walks among us is a weird one. Like they they go a direction with that one that is interesting to say the least, but um, not what you would expect, honestly. Um, but yeah, long story short, the Gill Man underappreciated big time. Uh, it's kind of a shock to me. That's like, man, he's so cool though. Like, like look at him. <laughs> yeah, I don't. know. It's surprising that. Uh, I guess it's not too surprising, but. 
that they haven't tried any sort of, you know, modern adaptation of it. Um, I, I mean, yeah, obviously Guillermo del Toro would be the perfect choice, but he probably wouldn't do that because it's, you know, he hasn't done it, but, you know, Shape of Water is close enough that he probably wouldn't want to do that again. Um, but yeah, I could definitely see it, you know, just being something even, you know, if they did a modern adaptation of it, I bet you they'd just call it the Black Lagoon. It'd be produced by Blumhouse, you know, but they they, they could make it work, I think. I mean, keep the general plot of it. And, you know, I think they could make it scary and fun. And I, I, I like the setup. I mean, it's, you know, it's a setup that's been done in lots of other movies since, but it, it works really well. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a remake of it. I, you know, probably wouldn't have the best reaction to it because they'd probably fuck it up somehow. But, you know, just the <laughs> fact that, you know, everybody else gets how many fucking at bats. Like yeah. sometimes nobody even gives a shit in the form of Frankenstein stuff. But it's like, you know, give him another shot, man. Just the people should be aware that the Gill Man's out there because the kids, I guarantee you, they don't know shit about the Gill Man. And they really ought to. <laughs> I just want to highlight quick because um, I went on my letterbox page and found a review that I liked for this movie. Um, you know, it's always good to highlight some, you know, classic letterboxed gag reviews. Uh, this review is from Joe. It's all his name is, is just Joe <laughs> and uh, review for creature from the Black Lagoon, which I think is pretty good. He said they came into his home. They poisoned his water. They shot him with harpoons but they couldn't conquer his love until eventually they were able to conquer his love as well. <laughs> uh, succinct uh, and also witty. Uh, I, I, I like it. No, that's, that's a pretty good letterbox review. I actually posted one myself for a uh, falling for Christmas. Um, <laughs> yeah. The girlfriend asked like, well, actually, no, I, I, I suggested it. I was like, yeah, it's the time of year. You probably want to watch some some of your stuff, right? And it's like you, you probably don't want to watch my shit all the time. So we we watched that, and you know, it wasn't great. It, like, actually, we had a lot of fun talking shit about it. But um, I posted a review that she helped me draft. She approved of every word of it. So <laughs> that was a fun yeah. joint project on the couch. I I read the review. I enjoyed it, but I have not seen the movie, so I didn't I didn't really get the references but i'm sure if i were to watch the Lindsay lohan falling for christmas i'm sure i would appreciate the review even more yeah that angel was crooked it was crooked yeah i don't know there's this there's this big aspect of the plot hinging on this fucking angel and it's like yeah they're gonna hang up that angel it's gonna be a really really big deal and then they put it up and it's like, that star it's crooked yeah. <laughs> ah anyway uh, creature from the black lagoon excellent pick brad i'm actually really 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 due for a rewatch on that one because as i just spent all this time talking up the gill man i haven't seen that in probably 30 plus years um so uh yeah i i should refresh my memory uh I especially mean, just... considering it's like 80 minutes long or some shit okay uh never mind i was gonna say just to highlight the fact how much the creature from the black lagoon gets overlooked. I, th I was thinking that this hadn't gotten a 4k release. Um, this, this did have a 4k. It is included in the, uh, universal classic monsters, uh, icons of horror. Two it's in volume two. Um, so no standalone release, but they did give it the, the 4k treatment, but also, I mean, 
the fact that it got relegated to volume two. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, sp- speaks volumes to how Universal views it. It's B tier for them. It's the B tier. Yeah, I mean, that that's the general vibe I get. But at the very least, I'm glad they included him in that box because he, he deserves to be part of that pantheon. He's probably the one that gets pushed aside the most often. Maybe mm-hmm. the mummy, but more than likely the gill man is the guy like if, if we got to if we got to nick somebody from the crowd, it's, it's going to be he's going to get benched, man. It's, yeah, it's like, I'm sorry, gill man. This you don't have room on the bus. <laughs> like, like Frank's got to put his feet up, man. Like he's, <laughs> he's, he's got a thing, you know, sciatica. <laughs> gill yeah. man's just like verbal, <laughs> <laughs> verbal, <laughs> which means fuck you and gill speak. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, so Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, you know what, Brad? I think we're about due uh, for uh, something a little different. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to... Uh, yeah, I'm going to throw some shit at you. Uh, and I'm going to give you a three for again, because I can do that. It's my shoe. Okay. So I have three movies that are all of a genre, not at all related to eat em ups uh, as we or monster movies for that matter. Uh, and uh, two of these are on 4K. And one of these is a Korean uh, Blu-ray extended edition. And actually, I have no idea how to navigate the menus uh, to make sure that I was ever watching the extended edition. I should probably mm. give that another look. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, to dispel the mystery uh, I have here, and I think, I think WellGo put out a domestic DVD uh, Blu-ray of this in recent years, but this version that I have here in my hands, I bought prior to that um, via Korea. Uh, so I have here uh, Northern Limit Line, uh, which is not really a war movie but verging on it It involves armed conflict between militaries of two nations so military action not necessarily a war but close enough Uh, and then i have two out and out war movies uh funny enough both from the same war but from different angles of it so i have uh steven spielbergos saving private ryan on 4k and then uh, Christopher Nolinsky's uh, Dunkirk, um, which is, of course, from the British and German side of the conflict rather than the American or, well, I mean, it was an international operation. Uh, it wasn't just our boys on the beach, uh, mm-hmm. on Omaha Beach and whatnot. Anyway, uh, all three of these movies involved armed conflict, involving military forces and whatnot, and they also involve the water. Uh, so uh, just to run through things pretty quickly, um, Northern Limit Line uh, is it kind of an interesting movie from a political standpoint. Um, I find stuff like this interesting because I have an American perspective on things. I am not Korean, uh, nor do I know a whole lot about Korean politics or military action. Um, but this actually takes place in, I think, 2002 or 2001. And it's based on a, a real life incident um, wherein North and South Korean sailors uh, shot at each other um, and it wasn't like a it wasn't war but it was vessels doing battle with each other and it was for completely stupid fucking reasons um, not that many people died but enough people died that you know people mourned them and the government was 
very pissed. Um, but it's just a really fascinating thing that's like this, this happened very recently. Um, and also funny enough, the timing of it, uh, the backdrop of it is it took, it happened during the world cup, um, mm. which, you know, kind of timely. Yeah. Um, but I, the way this, the way the narrative is portrayed is like, it's, it's cutting back and forth between like Korea being in the world cup and apparently, you know, doing decently. Um, I don't know how often that's the case for them, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's this actual real life incident uh, in the early two thousands where North and South shot at each other on the high seas. Um, and then we have, of course, saving private Ryan, which has the Omaha beach landing sequence, the first 20, 15 minutes of the movie or so. Uh, I don't need a whole, I don't need to say a whole lot uh, other than they arrive via boats and it's quite wet and bloody. Um, and it's astounding piece of cinema. Um, and then Dunkirk, which I don't know how you feel about this movie, Brad, but uh, I watched this movie not in the theater. Uh, Christopher Nolan's probably like, that motherfucker. <laughs> He's watching probably... on an iPhone? <laughs> I didn't watch it while I was taking a shit, Brad. Well, I All may right. have taken a shit with the door open. I'll give you that. <laughs> but it was playing on a television. God damn okay. it. It's playing on a TV in my home. Again, Christopher Nolan would probably be very upset. But Dunkirk, um, I, it's very much a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, it holds a lot of his hallmarks. In particular, I've noticed a lot of things about him that are really fascinating to me. I don't know if I like them, but I like discovering people's tendencies. Um, it's just a it's just a thing that I enjoy is is dissecting uh, dissecting like the perspective of the person presenting the product to me. So in in Nolan's case. I don't think anyone could argue that he has a fascination with time. Um, and this movie very much leans heavily into that and uh, utilizing that as a, a tool to the narrative, like to take a different approach to how the story is told. Um, but also I've noticed he has an aversion to violence and like he has violence in his movies. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. Like his, a lot of his movies have action. A lot of his movies have violence but it's never explicit. Like he, he seems to have an aversion to gore and, and like gruesome, bloody violence. It's like, like violence is done to people. People die in his movies, but there's no spectacle associated with it. There's, there's seldom even like dust squibs. People just, there's like a sound cue and then someone falls over or something. And you can see that in so many of his movies, like Inception and the Dark Knight films, and also in this, which is a war film, which involves a lot of people being shot at, um, but very little return fire. It's just kind of like this unseen force from the sky comes down and rains hell on people, and then sometimes people stop moving. And that's kind of the extent of the spectacle associated with the violence. But Dunkirk is a very, very wet movie. <laughs> a lot of it takes place in the open ocean. Um, for a variety of reasons, both above the ocean and on the actual water. Um, and then also a lot of it takes place on the shoreline on the beach, um, where there's a lot of harrowing drama involving sinking ships and people hiding from incoming gunfire and whatnot. Um, but yeah, very, very wet film in general. Very, very tense film on top of that. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of war shit, Brad. Uh, <laughs> enough out of me. What, what do you have to say about these ones? Well, Dunkirk, I meant to pull it off the shelf. I think I forgot, but that definitely 
qualifies. It is a water movie. People get very wet. Um, you got people on boats. You got people in the water. You got people flying planes above the water. Great movie. I love Dunkirk. Um, the first one, what was the title of that first one again? Oh, that was Northern Limit Line. Okay. And you said that was a, like a naval conflict on the ocean or? Yeah. Uh, okay. Navy, but uh, it's not like they had heavy munitions or anything. It's actually interesting. Like the, the style of combat is part of why I was interested in it because it's it's so intimate and strange to just see people with assault rifles taking cover on the deck of a, of like a frigate, like literally just small arms fire at each other. It's like old fashioned, like pirate shit. And they, they have like, like they have cannons and whatnot, but they're not like battleship cannons or anything. They're not like Mm -hmm. lobbing volleys of missiles at each other. It's like, literally they're just like broadsiding each other and going (laughs) like, I've never seen that portrayed in film before, at least in a modern setting. Like I've seen master and commander and pirates of the Caribbean and shit. Um, but never in a modern war scenario. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is kind of interesting. Um, and I've not seen that one, but the way you've described it, I think it, uh, I think it qualifies. I'll, I'll, I'll give it the, uh, the approval saving private Ryan though. I don't know, man. Uh, I, I love the movie, but obviously, yeah, that opening sequence is iconic, but I don't know if it's enough for me. Cause uh, yeah, they get in on boats, but, then they immediately, you know, get out of the water and get on the beach. Majority of that <laughs> sequence is on the beach. Bath. Isn't the town is is, is the town named Bath? <laughs> if, that's what you're, if that's what you're using is uh, your your evidence, then I am giving you the, the, that, that Paul got you Giamatti town. Video. Paul Giamatti town. We're we're <laughs> we're we're fucking group gets shot. <laughs> Paul Giamatti's village. Listen, it's very that... rainy. It's a very rainy village. Brad. All right. All right. I I haven't seen the movie in a while, so Vin I don't remember Diesel that. Diesel dies in the mud. It's moist. Damn it. OK. All right. You're 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 coming around a little bit. I'm still not sold, though. I'm still not sold. I have to say <laughs> pretty sure somebody drinks from a canteen at some point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that is the case. Um, but I mean, listen, this has nothing to do with you, but we got to bring this uh, Mr. Steven Spielberg down a peg. Let's give him the veto. This guy, you know, this guy, everybody's loving this guy because of the Fablemans, his new movie. Well, you know what, bud? You just got vetoed here. <laughs> Sorry, Stevie. <laughs> Steven, you, you could have been a contender. You, you could have been part of the aquatic adventure force. But Saving Private Ryan, so saith Brad, does not qualify as an aquatic adventure. So Saving Private yeah. Ryan, sorry, some something's got to go. You're the gill man of today's Tales from the Shelf <laughs> discussion. <laughs> sorry, Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> da, da, da. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's safe to say that uh, Steven Spielberg has never made an aquatic adventure. I think it's absolutely no, safe to say. No, I, I don't think he ever has, Brad. <laughs> don't think not, so, yeah. No, not even early in his career. No, never. no, certainly no. not 1975. He's never made any blockbusters that ever touched a body of water ever. Yeah, ever. yeah. <laughs> never. I, I mean, I'm scanning my memory, but it's just, man, 
Steven. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, Sorry. Bummer. Bro. Bummer for him. But uh, no, Dunkirk, though, that that is a, that is a great pick. That is one that I, I don't know why I forgot to pull it off the shelf because it is one that I I noted to mean to. Um, especially isn't there the whole sequence? I've only seen that movie once. I saw it in theaters. I have not watched it since. Um, Me too. But there's isn't there the sequence with the, the ship? Uh, doesn't the ship flip over and they all jump off into the water? I mean, talk about water. I mean, yeah. that's, all, that's all you need. Yeah, I feel that, like for that, these water movies, I I, th- I think people need to get wet. There's a, there's a there's an element of people actually getting in the water and getting wet. That for me is a big like that goes a long way. So you got to get it wet if it's going to be qualifying as a aquatic adventure. I think so. I think so. Okay. You heard it here, folks. It's got to get wet. They got to get yeah. wet. The whole mm-hmm. cast, they they must be wet. <laughs> dripping sopping wet that's what we're striving yeah. for in this discussion is yeah discussions yeah. of actors that are dripping dripping and sopping wet okay <laughs> so uh, yeah dunkirk i quite like as well um i was really impressed with it um i was it's funny i feel like almost everybody i know who has a you know positive opinion of it which is basically the only people i know who've seen it all express the same regret about not seeing it in the theater where it's just like that was really good, man. <laughs> it's like that would have been excellent in the theater. And I, I was kicking myself because I, I did not go. I had a good feeling about it, but it didn't happen. But I'm really glad I watched it because I thought it was a fantastic piece of filmmaking, um, potentially underseen. Um, when they when they stick that landing, when when everything converges, it's it's a beautiful moment uh, bolstered by a beautiful score by Hans Zimmer. Um, I know it's easy to shit talk on Zimmer. I do it all the time. Um, he does, he does repeat himself quite often. Like he does have a sound that is borderline ubiquitous in the world of, of mainstream cinema um, to the point that of being almost harmful uh, to the craft. Um, but his score for Dunkirk is outstanding. Uh, it's of his like more recent offerings. It's a highlight. Uh, Supermarine, folks, look it up. Supermarine is like seven, eight minutes of just like just like it's amazing. It's an amazing piece of music. Really enjoyed that. But yeah, I another movie I might go back and rewatch very soon. Goddamn. That's why I love doing these discussions. But anyway, that's enough on me, Brad. You want to call this one our last round here? Yeah, we can do that. Um, now, the question is, should I end on do you want me to end on a fringe case or should I end on something that's not a fringe case? Because I've got one that you you very well could veto. Well, in the in the speed round, as we wrap things up with our runner ups, you'll get a chance to throw it out there anyway. So it doesn't matter. Like okay. Everything will be vetoed that should be vetoed. <laughs> Well, let's let's go with this one then. And this could get vetoed, too, I suppose. I don't want to assume. Um, but this movie, it's uh, different than everything else I've mentioned. I've mentioned in a romantic adventure. I've mentioned a zombie film, a, a monster movie. This one is a comedy, a an aquatic comedy. And. It is a movie that came out a few years ago and probably was in recent years the hardest I've laughed in a movie theater. Like I was 
losing it watching this movie in theaters. And that is uh, director Harmony Corinne's The Beach Bum with Matthew McConaughey. And this one, it takes place in Florida. Again, it's The Beach Bum. There's a lot of sequences on beaches, a lot of sequences in pools, a lot of sequences on boats. And there are sequences in the water, specifically um, Martin Lawrence, who is so funny in this movie. Like Martin Lawrence's five minutes of screen time. I was rolling in the theater. Like he is amazing in this. And uh, he is a. I don't know what exactly what he does, but he loves he loves dolphins. He's, he's a big dolphin lover. And there's a sequence where he's uh, out giving people uh, dolphin tours, I guess. Uh, he's like taking them into the water. And so he gets in the water with them. I, I think Matthew McConaughey might get in the water as well in that sequence. But that though, that moment is amazing. Um, and I, I, I like Harmony Curran quite a bit. Uh, he is not for everybody. That is for sure. Um, this actually might be maybe his most accessible movie. I'd, this might even be more accessible than Spring Breakers because more than any of his other movies, this one is just a straightforward comedy. Still has his style 100%, but um, a lot of his other stuff is a little more, um, there's a little bit more of an edge to it. This one, even though visually and in terms of its feel, it feels like a Harmony Crane movie. It just is leaning way more into the comedy than a lot of his other stuff. Um, and I have a ton of fun with this one. I've, I've seen it a couple times now. Uh, Zach Efron is uh, really funny in it. He's really good. And um, it's 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 a real uh, it's a real hoot. It's a real treat. Um, and I don't know what Harmony Corinne has on the docket next, but um, I like the guy quite a bit I, I trevor have you seen any of his uh any of any of this guy's pictures i think the only film of his that i've seen is gummo and that's okay. an early one from him so i'm not like up to date I, i'm of course aware of spring breakers and you've you've actually mentioned the beach mum before such that i'm like man that movie means a lot to brad like brad really <laughs> enjoyed that i should i should probably check that out and it I haven't forgotten that. Like I'm, I'm very curious as to exactly what that is because Harmony Corinne, like you said, absolutely not for everybody. His, mm-hmm. uh, his aesthetic could only be described as grotesque. Um, but he has, I want to say, and this is a stretch because I've only seen the one movie from the guy. Um, and other than that, it's just like marketing material and whatnot that I've borne witness to over the years. But I want to say he has like a, a Mike judge kind of quality to him where he observes people in, in the U S in particular. And he kind of, his vision of, of this country seems to be like a hyper real rendition of it, or it's, it's like Florida man, the movie. Kind yeah. Of, kind of. Um, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. accurate, but that's kind of the vibe I get is, is just like, this is holding up a mirror to, some of the more outrageous uh, aspects of of American society. Yeah, you're you're about right on with that. It's kind of like the whole like you know the uh, cliche of you know finding the beauty and the the ugliness of certain aspects of America. Um, yeah, and I think Gummo probably best uh, realizes that uh, Gummo is one I've seen, only seen Gummo once. I I know a lot of people say a lot of people love Gummo, a lot of people hate Gummo. 
Um, I liked it. I, I kind of because I like Harmony Corinne, I, I wanted to love it more. And maybe now that I've experienced it, maybe I would I would like it more because there are uh, some amazing sequences in in, in Gummo. Um, I mean, if you like uh, amazing, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you like watching people eat spaghetti, I mean, there's Gummo and blue is the warmest color are probably the two greatest. You know, that's those are the masterpieces of eating spaghetti in cinema. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I, I like uh, Harmony Corinne quite a bit. I really like Spring Breakers as well. Um, the only one of his I have not seen, I think, is Trash Humpers, uh, <laughs> which is unfortunate because with the title like that, I, I should definitely check it out. But I don't think it's uh, easily available to watch. Gummo as well. Gummo is not an easy one to watch. I don't at least the last time I sought it out. Um, I don't believe it has any sort of Blu-ray release. It probably has the DVD, I would assume. But yeah. um, like it wasn't even available for rent last time I wanted to watch it. So, um, but yeah, it's, you know, again, not something I would recommend to a lot of people. But the Beach Bum, I think people might not love it like I do, but it's at least something that I think people could watch and they would at least watch it to the end. Uh, Gummo and... Uh, you know, Mr. Lonely, like a lot of his other stuff, I don't think people would finish. Uh, so at least whether that's for good or bad, if you're a Harmony Corinne fan, at least now his stuff, you know, is a little bit more mainstream, but was still retaining his uh, style. I don't think he sacrificed anything. Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, like he, he has a vision, like like he has he has an aesthetic. He has a brand. Um, it doesn't. It's not mainstream. Most certainly would not work for just just anybody. But he he knows what he's doing, and you know it works for some people like you, Brad. Um, but yeah, the Beach Bum is is a movie that I definitely would like to check out, just because I have no idea what it actually is. Um, but it has a lot of talent involved in it. A lot of talent that I generally enjoy watching, regardless of like what they're doing in it. Um, like Martin Lawrence is one of those figures that like his mainstream presence like has dwindled in, in more recent years, but like there's undeniable talent when he's on, like, like when he's on, he's pretty great. Um, so I'd be really curious to see his dolphin thing, <laughs> but, but you know, that, that also came out, I want to say during the, the McConaissance, uh, the, the Matthew McConaughey Renaissance or whatever, when, when he, was kind of making his Oscar bid. Like, am I right on that with the timing? It was a little bit on the tail end of it. I think he was coming down from it a little bit um, because the movie did not do very well. Um, I mean, relatively, like if if it came out and made that much now, people would be probably shocked. Um, But at the time, it was considered a bit of a a dud at the box office, Um, especially with him being in it. I think they were hoping that would be the selling point. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like a niche movie intended for niche audiences, despite, you know, the glitz and glamour associated with some of the names involved in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that was a bad move, but it sounds like the sounds like everybody showed up to play, though. So maybe maybe it's for the best for the overall quality of the product. But um, yeah, that, that's one I, I would very much like to watch. Um, I, I'd never forgotten about that because you have brought it up before. And it's like 
I have no idea what it is about that movie, but Brad seems to really like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's probably one of my favorite comedies of the last five years or whatever. So. <laughs> OK, well, uh, I think I'm actually going to cut things short um, and not do a final pick for myself. So um, let us advance to the speed round. Um, so uh, folks at home, if you're not aware of what's about to happen, um, the speed round is essentially where Brad and I take any of our runner ups, uh, that is titles associated with the theme for this month's discussion, in this case, aquatic adventures. Uh, and we just say a little something, you know, in a quick fashion about the movies that we had set aside, but just didn't get into in a full blown discussion. So instead of like a back and forth, we're just going to rattle through these picks uh, in rapid succession. So, um, Brad, would you like a minute to collect yourself or should I just go ahead with mine? Uh, you can go first if you want, if you're ready. Yeah, sure. Uh, I already got the single take, so I may as well. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, I will try to go through these as quickly as I can. Uh, so um, and remember, these are runner ups for a reason. Like <laughs> like a lot of these is just like, I don't have I have fuck all to say about that. <laughs> so um, first one is exactly one of those. Um, this is. I believe James Wan's Aquaman starring Jason Momoa. Um, yeah. I mean, Aqua man, aquatic adventure. Duh. Definitely qualifies. I, I hope so. <laughs> um, I have here a movie that, uh, this is a bootleg. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but it's region zero. Um, but it's also on DVD. So double barf for Brad. Sorry about that. Hope you bought your uh, barf bag. <laughs> Um, I have Bokoku no Ijisu, or uh, it's like aimless or like without a nation, uh, Aegis, as in the shield. Um, so this is Die Hard on a Frigate. This is a mm-hmm. Japanese action film, and uh, it's really hard to tell from the cover because it's a terrible angle. Um, but this is Hiroyuki Sanada. Um, who you have seen in American films. Um, he's in the he's in the Mortal Kombat, the most recent Mortal Kombat. He's in a bullet train. He's in The Last Samurai. Um, he's he's a I believe he was a protege of Sonny Chiba back in the day. Um, Japanese martial artist slash actor slash national fucking treasure. Respect. Um, this is Die Hard on a Frigate. And the bad guys are North Korean and it's a Japanese frigate. And uh, this one also has uh, Shin Gojira like bureaucracy as a plot point where there's a situation where Japan has a self-defense force. They don't have a proper military, so they can only retaliate when attacked. They can't, they can't be preemptive with any sort of military action. So there's lots of plot points of men in suits talking about like, so we're being threatened with like nuclear weapons and shit. Can we like do anything? It's like, oh no, can we do anything? And then it cuts back to like the sailors fighting for their lives on this ship. And it's like, I don't know if we can do anything. Like they haven't actually technically called, they haven't like officially declared war. Funny shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love stuff like that in Japanese cinema. Like they're you can tell that it's a it's a point of contention with them. Um, but uh, I have here and sorry about the box and the sticker, by the way. This needs some goo gone. Oh, <laughs> uh, I have uh, Quentin Tarantino presents Tony Ja in The Protector from Blockbuster Video for three ninety nine. 
See, um, I kind of like that actually. In fact, the the thing that I dislike is that you tried to remove the sticker. I think you should have left the not, sticker on. Actually, I oh, really? it came like that. Okay, no, it came like that. I wouldn't right. do that. It, it's a it's a historical document. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, you know, R.I.P. Blockbuster, R.I.P. Mills Lane, and R.I.P. James Horner, and R.I.P. Blockbuster. Um, this is uh, Tang Yong Gung uh, in the original Thai. Uh, this is the American version, which cuts out a lot of the racist shit <laughs> um, involving the Chinese in this movie. Um, and also it has Loud and Proud, very similar to what we were doing with uh, Eli Roth movies, where they would put the name on the poster because Life in Twice is Ugly, when in actuality they had nothing to do with it. Like all, all Tarantino did was probably pay some rights acquisition costs or something to bring it to the States. Um, this is, I think like Tony Jaws second or third major film. Um, this one features a sequence between uh, himself and a capoeira fighter. Um, actually it's like three different guys in one sequence where the entire floor um, has like three, four inches of water. Um, so Everything is in slow motion and every every movement of the legs, every kick causes water to go. <laughs> so it's very fanciful. It's very much riffing on um, Hero, uh, which I think came out very shortly before this, if not like the same year. Um, I have Ghost in the Shell, uh, Mamoru Oshii's uh, Ghost in the Shell, which of course... Uh, features the stunning title sequence um, with the making of a cyborg or an android. Um, beautiful music by Kenji Kawai. Um, also, water as a motif is very, very important to this film in general. Like the, the climactic action sequence features it. There's an early action sequence featuring similar effects to what we saw in Tom Young Gung, but in animated form where like people are kicking and water is going. Okay. Um, and also, there's a, a sequence where uh, our main character goes skin diving um, despite having a metallic exoskeleton or, or a metallic endoskeleton um, that would weigh them down and cause them to drown. Water is a very important theme visually um, in this film. Okay. I'll allow it. I don't remember, but I'll allow it. I, okay. Okay. I'll, it's been I'm allowed. Going based on you. I'm going based on you on this. It's been allowed. Um, I can't remember who directed this one, but this this movie called Jaws. Yeah, J A W S Jaws. Some asshole directed that movie. I think it takes place on the water. I don't know. Maybe you know, Brad. Um, at the shallows on 4K. I look at the fucking cover for fuck's mm-hmm. sake. Like roughly two thirds of the cover is the water. It's about a shark attacking a lady. Forgot to grab that one too. What the hell am I doing? I have the Meg. Bigger shark attacking some lady and, and some bald dude. Uh, lethal Weapon fucking four in the Lethal Weapon British box set. <laughs> the great British box set of Lethal Weapons. Um, terrible cover art um, with a stick of dynamite. Jesus. Uh, lethal Weapon four, the climax of uh, the battle between Jet Li and uh, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. Uh if you don't remember, Brad, Jet Li gets shot the fuck up with an AK-47 underwater. Uh, so okay. they had to film that in a water tank. A really spectacular kill and really spectacular, not not like ornate choreography, but really gritty 
tooth and nail fight sequence at the end of that movie. Caught me off guard. I really love that one. Uh, Sector 7 in 3D. This is a Korean monster movie. Post uh, The Host, uh, which is a better Korean monster movie. (laughs) Much better one, in fact. Sector 7, I remember waiting for a really, really, really long time to see because I was just curious about it. And uh, it takes place on an oil platform. Um, and involves a petroleum eating monster that it's like it's goopy uh, and has lots of bony protrusions unfortunately it's done almost entirely in cgi and it doesn't have a lot of good interaction with any of the cast like people get dragged off screen and that's not particularly violent or anything i don't remember liking it very much and also it goes completely off the rails and turns into a fucking mila jovovich resident evil movie a later era resident evil movie in its final act where people are there's a there's motorcycle stunts on an oil platform at the end of this movie i'll just <laughs> leave it at that fire fire nice. and motorcycles on an oil platform in the middle of the ocean triple x the return of xander cage <laughs> uh you can see trip you can see triple x himself you can see vin diesel riding a dirt bike in in a in a wave he, he's surfing on a dirt bike on the beach. Uh, this movie's ending sequence is literally that, and it is completely and utterly bonkers. It's, it's like some Bollywood shit. Yeah. Um, this was actually a movie I was hoping to get a clip of uh, to show you in case you hadn't seen the end of it, where I believe it's Donnie Yen and Vin Diesel throw down on dirt bikes in waves, like crashing waves on the beach. It's pretty spectacular and stupid. Emphasis yeah. on stupid. Uh, I have A Cure for Wellness, which I've talked about this movie way too many times, but water is a huge component of the visual motifs present in this film. Uh, Just leave it at that. I like that movie a lot. I would like Mm -hmm. to review it someday for the podcast. Uh, And then Crawl, because it's fucking Crawl, man. I also talk about that pretty much every episode, so I'm just going to leave it at that. But anyway, uh, that was a very long speed round, so I'll kick it back to you, Brad. Well, I'll quick uh, just some crawl. <laughs> do it. Well, wait, um, how what how is crawl spelt backwards? La Lark. 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 Anyway, carry on. Um, yeah, uh, this is a little movie called Swag Swag Swag. It features Josh. a shark. Yeah, um, <laughs> Swag. Somebody's got to take this Steven Spielberg guy down, but you know what? I took him down because I didn't buy the 4K. I guess that's where I took him down a peg. Oh. Um, uh, I have a, a handful of uh, eat em ups involving water that I have not watched. So I'm assuming based on their content that they involve water. But I guess I have. I don't know because I haven't watched them. Uh, I have Cruel Jaws. Cruel swage, cruel, <laughs> which I mean, if Jaws isn't cruel enough for you, you got to check out Cruel Jaws, which is apparently a uh, horrendous movie. Or her- apparently, it steals uh, shots and footage from some other shark movie and just assembles it together. Um, but it did get put out on Blu-ray from Severin. I picked that up. I have the Great Alligator. Um, from a code, which is a code red release. Uh, I have killer crocodile and killer crocodile Two double feature, 
which is another Severn release. I like how they did this with the both, you know, the slipcover, both sides. I, 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 I like that. That's a nice touch. And uh, a Scream Factory steelbook of humanoids from the deep, um, which I have not seen any of these, but I oh, think they me, all involve water. Um, great picks. I love the killer crocodile one, but um, sorry to interrupt your speed round. But uh, oh, you're good, man. From, I believe that was an early James Horner score. Okay. Yep. And yep. if if my ears remember correctly, I believe he, he was testing some shit that would end up in aliens in that score uh, because I, I think the story goes aliens was a troubled piece like a troubled composition and he was probably tearing his hair out tr- just trying to get it fucking done yeah for some reason i i thought there was some sort of james cameron connection for this but i couldn't remember what so i i think you're right on with that um so yeah there's a handful um let's see let's go with this one this one is probably my most fringe case. Um, it is not necessarily a, a water movie, but it has one sequence that is very wet, very wet. It might be the most wet sequence of any movie we've talked about. And that is Jumanji Jumanji, which has a sequence involving a indoor monsoon in a house that floods everybody's in the water. Some of them are floating on uh, doors, pieces of wood. And of course a giant crocodile comes in and they're battling the crocodile. Very wet. It, it ends with the front door bursting open and the water rushing down the street. Uh, the, the children's aunt and the sheriff are caught up in the, in the flood and they're, they're rushing down the street together. They're on pieces of plywood and the, the gator swims past them very much a mini aquatic adventure within a larger movie. And, uh, you know, when I was thinking of movies where people get wet, this movie jumped to the top of my mind. So I personally think it qualifies, but it is my most fringe case. So if you want to use your veto, you better use it now because I don't think you're going to get another chance. Without <laughs> like a basic instinct or fatal attraction there for a second. <laughs> I mean, they, they do fucking a sink in fatal attraction. Uh, yeah, and a rabbit yeah. gets boiled. There's some water in them. <laughs> and she gets yeah, weird when it. it rains. She gets weird when it rains. You could. And also she gets. Yeah. The finale happens in a bathroom. Mm-hmm. Too many bathrooms. You could never have too many bathrooms. Um, I'll allow it. Because it's a it's a major set piece in a movie that's chock full of them. I love that movie, by the way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, like Robin Williams was just totally on fire and like during that period for anybody who grew up then. Um, but that movie just it's it's just like bang, bang, bang. Just like they, they do so much with with every aspect of it. It's like, wow, they, they really did a jungle adventure movie in, you know, in just a town. It's really it's really cool how they put that movie together. And also the special effects, while some of that CGI is a little bit raggedy by today's standards, there's enough puppetry and animatronics in there that it's like, you know, you'll find something you like in there. But I, I forget the whole line, but I remember Robin Williams saying, like, but a lot of it will kill you um, yeah. in regards to the rain. And so the, the rain is it's a factor in terms of heightening the, the tension and the danger. Like it's mm-hmm. not just 
there. It's not just there for aesthetic purposes or anything. It's a participant. And yeah. by that logic, I'll allow it. <laughs> there we go. I mean, this was definitely a movie in my childhood that got to be up there with Jurassic Park and, you know, a few others and most rewatched when I was a kid. Like I watched the shit out of this movie all the time. Um, so it's no surprise that I love movies involving creatures and, you know, killer animals and stuff like that. Also, I forgot that at the end of the movie, they do throw the board, uh, the, the game into water. And at the, the final shot, it does wash up on a beach. So, I mean, this isn't even a fringe case. Who am I kidding? This is a great pick. Come on. I know you already proved it, but let's go. <laughs> I think I think the lesson we learned today is that Steven, Sebe- Steven Spielberg has never made an aquatic action f- film. Mm-hmm. Aquatic adventures are just something he's never been able to get hold on. Like he's no. maybe he's taken a crack at it. I don't know. Um, but beyond that, you know, mostly you can lawyer your you can lawyer your way through pretty much any aquatic adventure. Uh, in some shot in virtually any film, somebody will take a sip of water and therefore some amount of tension and danger will have emerged from the experience. And therefore it's an aquatic adventure. Um, exactly. Yeah. Good episode, Brad. This was a solid one. I enjoyed this quite a lot. This was this was kind of an odd theme, but clearly it's something that's very easy for us to talk about. Um, so as always, man, uh, thank you for joining me uh, in talking some movies and whatnot. I uh, really hope to have you back soon for, you know, Blu-ray or whatever comes next. Um, but in the meantime, uh, would you care to let the folks at home know where they can find you and your super awesome podcast? Yeah, it's the Cinema Speak podcast. So we're on Twitter at the Cinema Speak, on Instagram, Cinema Speak podcast, and on YouTube as Cinema Speak. Uh, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you... I'm doing my own... I'm doing how I usually end the... Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, you can also write, yeah, write reviews. Yeah, do all that. But um, and you can find us on the web at cinemaspeak.libson.com. Yeah, please rate, review, subscribe, all that nonsense. And I didn't also mean to push that so much. But... <laughs> no, that's fine, man. You got to do some of that self-promotion shit. Um, and also, you'll you'll be delighted to know, dear listeners, that if you scrub through the entirety of Brad's letterboxed account, you will not find a single television movie or television series logged in there because television Brad has movie, principles. Television movie you, you could find that mini series. Excuse me. Yeah, you got it. I, I found my way to it, Brad. I, I know <laughs> strict laws in these discussions. Brad, and it, <laughs> if you do find one, let me know and I will remove it. So let me, if I somehow one slip through the cracks, let me know because it's out of there. <laughs> ah, Brad, the judge. Uh, uh okay well uh anyway my turn i guess uh so uh folks at home uh, if you care to catch up on any of our other catching up on cinema content uh you can find all of that collected on our website at catching up on cinema.com i can also find us on the social medias in the form of the twitter at catching cinema as well as the instagram at catching up on cinema so feel free to hit me up at either of those uh, and you can find the podcast on pretty much every podcasting platform you can imagine, including BitCade. So fucking Google it. And that being said, uh, oh, wait, I have a special treat uh, that hopefully won't bork the stream. Uh, so before I do on my big sign off here, Brad, uh, I have a sneaky final pick that I had actually I took the time 10 minutes before we logged onto the stream 
10 minutes to isolate a clip from my own disk using technology that I can't possibly describe to you. Within 10 minutes, I was able to grab the clip that I needed to exhibit this film because this is a film that nobody in their right mind has seen, although maybe they will now uh, because I'm using this opportunity to promote this bitch. Uh, so I have here in my hands an aquatic action film uh, in that it takes place in a Olympic swimming facility. Uh, it's Die Hard in an Olympic swimming facility. Okay. Go figure. Uh, I have here Blast, uh, starring Lyndon Ashby, who is on the cover. And yes, the cover is evocative of Die Hard. It is Die Hard yeah. in an Olympic swimming facility. Lyndon Ashby, who you will, of course, remember from Mortal Kombat as Johnny Cage. Oh, and then yeah, Andrew, yeah. the Wishmaster Devoff, is in here mm -hmm. as well. Uh, and then Rutger Hauer, uh, the you know, national treasure to the Netherlands, Rutger Hauer here playing a native American man in a wheelchair in Brownface. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And also speaking of rest in peace, um, Albert Pyun directed this film. Uh, so oh, you had wow. another person to add to the pile of, you know, hopefully not forgotten, gone, but not forgotten. Uh, so uh, I'm going to test this here. Uh, so, to provide context, I like I said, I isolate a clip from this film. So I'm going to let it whirl, Brad, and we're going to see if this magic works or if it totally borks the stream at the finish line. So I present to you the finale of Albert Pyun's Blast. amazing did you catch the uh rusty gate sound effect playing over the explosion <laughs> and also the soundtrack which is in no way influenced um by uh mark mencina's score for speed um, but yeah that's the finale for blast we're in uh, native american rutger hauer uh, i think stabs the wishmaster in the stomach does a forward tumble out of his mechanical wheelchair into the swimming pool uh, he leaves a sticky note on his ass pad saying time's up, which then explodes and kills the Wishmaster, thus ending the film. Uh, that is that is great. And I, I, I feel like I don't know if it was that clip or you've you've mentioned this movie to me before, because as soon as you said Rutger Hauer playing a Native American, I was like, hang on. This is the only movie where he did that, right? Because that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really bad. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I felt the world needed to see that more people need to be aware of this because yes, yeah. that is a way to end a fucking film <laughs> inspired by true events, by the way, <laughs> really, <laughs> they say that loud and proud on the, oh, the opening credits of the movie. <laughs> Fuck me. Um, anyway, oh, man. uh, yeah, uh, this has been tales from the shelf. Uh, I already said the spiel, so we will catch you next time. Bye.